Hey friends, and welcome back to the Recess Podcast, the unfiltered podcast for aspiring entrepreneurs. This is actually my first episode ever doing without Rohan, my co-host, but I couldn't miss out on getting these guys on the pod. So today I have the both the Noahs, um, Noah Cox and Noah Jacobs, and they each started a business together, now two businesses together, and they've lived with me this summer in Austin, Texas in a founder house through Founders Cupid. And I'm really excited to jump into their stories because I, I know they have a lot to share and a lot of very interesting things to talk about. Um, so first, I'd like one of you to describe one of your businesses and one of you to describe the other. You can start in any way you want okay. um, and talk about kind of where they're at now and what kind of the origin stories of those are. How do you want to do that, Noah? Uh, I can talk about Ultima first. Okay, sure. Yeah. Uh, so I'm Noah Cox of the, of the two Noahs here. You're getting uh, two for the price of one in this episode, I guess. Um, but essentially, uh, Noah and I have, have started two businesses. Um, you can talk, I think, more about the fund, and that's called obviously Noah's Ark, because what else would two Noah's call their hedge fund? Um, <laughs> but uh, I'm, I'm talking a little bit about Ultima. So uh, Noah and I uh, started this with two other guys last summer, uh, two guys with really strong technical backgrounds. Um, but essentially, Ultimate Insights is, is using artificial intelligence for better investment due diligence and, and idea generation. So we um, scrape hundreds of thousands of web pages daily uh, for different content that could be relevant to investors and deliver to them in actionable uh, email digests and, and on our platform. So we just launched public beta a few months ago and uh, now partnering with uh, research platforms and a brokerage. So, yeah. Awesome. And I'm Noah Jacobs. And thanks, Jacob, so much for having us on this. This is sick. Love to it's have like you. Phenomenal that you've been doing this for so long now, and I'm glad you're getting some traction, too. Uh, Noah and I, before we started Ultima, went in on a hedge fund together, and that effectively is a pooled vehicle. So let's say maybe you have 10 people, and they all give you some money to manage, and you can manage it with the same strategy. So unlike a typical financial advisor or anything like that, you can actually implement the same strategy for all of the individuals, rather than necessarily looking at one individual's risk profile and going from there. And with that, we've done a lot of what people might call boring investments, like 20th century companies, maybe steel companies, etc., that are oftentimes, not always, but oftentimes undergoing some sort of pretty clever 21st century change. So how long have you guys been doing the hedge fund for? We launched in April 2022. Yep last year and how long was the time that it took for you guys to get to where you finally launched what was like the the process getting there so i I think it comes from i mean we can both talk a little about our past in a minute and and why we're passionate about you know this general theme of of investing but Noah and i originally started uh the fund by trying to say let's put our money where our mouth is and the underlying strategy let's make sure it works before we ask investors for for more funds so we launched uh, really a test fund in August of 2020. So it was, you know, middle of COVID, we said, you know, why not, right? Everybody seemed to be getting into investing and we both had done it personally before, but this is the first opportunity to really try pooling money and, and really running a strategy. And so we ran a test fund from there until about April of 2021 and pretty happy with that performance. Um, I went off and did an internship that summer. Noah had a lot of great opportunities not to, you know, <laughs> steal his own story. So he can definitely tell you that later. Um, but we came back in the fall and ran a second test fund, uh, really once again saying, okay, just confirming, does this strategy work? And once again, it performed pretty well um, from about September of our junior year, so that's 2021, until right before the war in Ukraine started in February of 2022. And so, you know, we had, I think, two pretty decent short run track records under our belt. And we said, okay, it's time to, to give this a shot. And so the whole time we've been writing this newsletter quarterly um, for prospective investors, really sharing our thoughts on the market and, and putting our words on paper so people could go back and really evaluate you know, what we stood for and, and what the claims were we were making. So people kind of, it wasn't a true track record, but it was in a lot of ways a pseudo track record. So we think these two things really set us up well for the people that we did go to make that ask for you know, around March, April of, of last year. And when we kicked off the fund from there, it was, uh, kind of just fulfilling a dream for both of us. I know we both watched Billions when we were younger, um, a, a Showtime show, and uh, we thought that was cool. So, <laughs> Can you tell me the difference between a test fund and your actual fund? Yeah, so so the test fund is obviously with much less money because it's just the money that no one and I could scrape together. Um, and the second thing was uh, it was a lot of iteration on the strategy. So it was the same mechanics, but the stocks we picked and kind of the risk tolerance and the discipline methods that we took was refined over this period of time. Um, but it was really, 
you know, about making sure stuff works. So there's no external money in a test fund. So it's very simple. It's um, you set up like a limited liability partnership or an LLC account, and then uh, you just trade it out of a normal broker like Schwab or TD Ameritrade. And then you guys pool your money together just personally. You didn't yeah. take any outside investment until you'd had a track record. Yeah. And from there, then you show investors that you have a track record. This is why you invest in what you invest in, and you tell a story, and then they invest in you. Yeah. It, Sounds about right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it, it's a lot of that story. I think one of the big things was um, really getting people to bet on us, and I think that's one of the biggest things here because, you know, again, Noah and I, when we both started this, we're 21 years old, right? So we weren't, you know, by any means professionals, and by no means that we have a track record in, in a true sense. Um, you know, really had not done a lot of employment at any big financial firms or anything. But, you know, what we really came to is, I, I think, a story of what we wanted to build and kind of what we were passionate about and where we thought there were investment opportunities. And so, you know, we've been able to, you know, since run that in our fund. And I think last year, I think we did a really good job of, you know, managing our risk and beating the market and, you know, kind of just going from there. Yeah, I have so many questions about a hedge fund. <laughs> a hedge fund, I've heard a lot of different things about running a hedge fund. The one thing that stands out is that, liability-wise, it's like one of the most difficult businesses to be a part of and like risky in terms of ownership. How do you guys manage that type of risk personally? Yeah, so it's certainly not necessarily easy. I would definitely (laughs) agree with that. And you have to really respect the people whose money you're investing, right? That's the whole thing. It's really a trust game. So as much as the regulatory concerns matter, uh, I'd say the bigger thing there, Jacob, is reputation mm-hmm. and really putting a lot of effort into making sure you're acting responsibly on behalf of your investors. Because you, we, can, we can talk about like the legal end of it and the stupid amount of money we've had to pay to lawyers over time to make sure that it's above board in that sense. And all that matters and all of that is important it's to some extent formulaic. You can pay somebody to do it. You can outsource that. What you can't outsource is building a trust, trust-based relationship. That's not something you can outsource. That's the I would say probably the harder part there. Because again, obviously, you know, cross your T's, dot your eyes. But at the end of the day, you can pay a lawyer to do that. You still have to know to some extent what they're talking about. You have to look over the documents, make sure nothing's wrong. But the bigger thing is the trust. Right. And so it does cost a decent amount of money to start, a, to start a fund, whether yeah. that all the lawyer fees, all different uh-huh. things. And so at what point do you have to get to in terms of assets under management to where it actually makes sense in terms of the, the fee cost structure mm. to where you're, you're, anything you make on the investments are actually going to cancel that out? Uh, choking on the legal bills. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> um, no, it's uh, it, it's about five million is the estimate we have. So um, it, it really varies on the size of the fund. So on a, on a gross profit basis, based on the money that we have raised now, um, the fund you know pays its own accounting bills, right? Like it's a big enough vehicle where the accounting and and largely everything we do for tax prep is taken care of by the fees we draw off the fund, right? The salaries no and I we take it's it's out of Ultima, the the tech startup, right? So. It's, it's a different place, right, um, but allows us to, you know, work on these two units, you know, in, in synergy. And we can talk later kind of about why there's a benefit there. But, yeah, probably at about $5 million it gets interesting because, you know, you at this point have enough money coming in every year where, you know, the legal bills that you've, you've you know, done this sunk cost investment thing into, you more than recuperate it. You draw a small salary from that. And, you know, with a lot of the profit sharing fees, you start to pick up some of that upside. So about $5 million, And really that's a function of performance. So... You know, if you have a much smaller fund now, and it's a, you know, in a lot of ways, you know, we have raised some money, right? It is not close to five million at this point. But um, what we've been able to do is prove, okay, at a larger amount of size and with real people's money and real fees and a real, you know, hedge fund, can the strategy perform? And I think the answer is largely yes. And so what you can do from there is go back and do one of two things: you can ask these original investors for more funds, and the second thing you can do is you can ask more investors for their initial investments in funds. And so I think as, you know, the fund performs well, we may consider, you know, tapping the markets again for that. Um, but it really just depends on, you know, where these two businesses move in tandem and how do we want to appreciate that. 
so what is the longer term view of the hedge fund? Is the hedge fund still something you're pushing on and want to grow? Of course. With yeah. Ultima as a side business on that? Or like, how does the, how do you do two businesses at the same time? Especially when you're running a hedge fund, which is a high stress day to day job, which things are changing at all times. Yeah. So you have to keep up with how do you manage running two businesses? I, I think it largely has to deal with, you know, the synergies involved here. So, you know, one of the big pain points we had last year was, you know, we'd done a ton of uh, qualitative research every day um, related to, to different stocks in our portfolio. And a lot of this was reading news and, and web pages. And for us, one of those big pain points was, well, we, we really can't get access to the information we want to to be informed investors. And that really frustrated us, right? So you could, you can get a lot of this information through your school, but you know, and I have both graduated now. And so it's a function of, okay, where do you get that information from now? And so that's really where Ultima's come to help us, right? So, you know, we've built this synergistic business uh, with these two technical guys on the team, Adi and Mo. And the beauty of it is something that we really wanted last year was what if we got every morning a personalized newsletter that really detailed information about your specific account holdings, the top news related to them, and really using AI to take more macro news that the company's not mentioned or related to on the surface and really connect it back to the company uh, in, in an actionable insight every morning. So. That's one of the products we now offer through Ultima, right? So, you know, what might have been hours of looking through news previously, Noah and I are able to get that delivered to us every single morning because the AI the night before is going to scan a quarter million news articles. It's going to understand all these different con- you know, concepts and the context around it. It's able to connect it and deliver it to you, you know, in a, in a very succinct format every morning. So there's a lot more ways we can provide, you know, automated insights through that. But it's really helping us manage some of the portfolio monitoring so we can do one of two things, right? You know, really focus on... Also making sure Ultima is a, a successful business. Um, but second, really focus on researching new stocks for our own fund. So in a lot of ways, when we started building Noah's Ark, we had 12 stocks in our fund. And for Noah and I to feel like we could successfully monitor each of those 12 investments, we felt like it was very much a full-time job every day, right? It was combing through all this news, combing through all this macro information, making sure that it connected back to the company and connected back in a way that was beneficial to our investments. That was hard. So... You know, using Ultima, we now have the benefit of actually we've scaled the fund up to 18 investments. So it's more diversified, which means on a risk-adjusted basis, it should perform better. It also uh, is more diversified in terms of sectors. So before, to consolidate research, we would put three stocks from one sector into the fund. And that was good because it was like, okay, you can understand the macro theme of this sector better. But it meant you had a lot of bets that were correlated with each other. And you really want to build a portfolio that's full of uncorrelated bets. And so by filling the portfolio now with 18 different investments instead of 12 originally, we're going to get up closer to about 20 or 25 is is really the long run goal. Um, We feel like we can, again, provide more diversified, uncorrelated, you know, alpha out of this fund. And that should allow us to really perform on a long run basis better for investors. So kind of a long winded answer, but it's very much synergistic and it very much provides value to each other. So I'm going to assume that you guys don't believe in a true efficient market. Otherwise, yeah, I don't think we'd be doing this. Otherwise, you probably wouldn't have a hedge fund, right? <laughs> I hope. And so, in a non-efficient market, the people that win are the people yeah. that have better information, right? Uh, no, I don't agree with that. Okay, tell me what yeah, you yeah. what you believe. So, actually, uh, one framework that came from um, Nick Sleep that I really like is there are three ways to win in a market. <clears throat> you can either behave better than most people. And okay, right. Like that'd be like if I see everything crashing, I'm not going, oh, sell, exactly, sell. Exactly, right? Okay. And that's huge, right? So you can do that because a lot of people have those biases. You can have better information than somebody else, right? Which, you know, maybe insider trading, maybe not. We don't do that, obviously. But like, how do you actually get better information than people in this market? That's a tough one. And that's what we're focusing on with Ultima there, as well as number three, which is the synthesis of the information, hmm. where you can take existing information that everyone has and you can say, this is the takeaway from it that's unique and this is what I'm going to do with it. Back to the information thing, uh, there's a lot of information out there that's available, but it's not super easy to get to. So if you can programmatically find a way to access that, and that could be an edge as well, which again is to some extent the exploration with Ultima, as well as to some extent the synthesis element of that, where it's connecting these disjoint data sets that people know are out there, but bringing them together and synthesizing them into something new, some new takeaway for the equity. But in regards to the fund, right now I would say uh, without Ultima, Ultima aside, our best bet is probably behavioral outperformance. 
Right. That's the, that's the, I guess what I would say, the non-mega fund, the average Joe outperformance, right? The, uh, I'm sure you know somebody who just kills it in the market. And I doubt they're necessarily finding super secret data sets, but they, they have a strategy and they stick to it consistently. And that's, in my view, one of the most important things with a lot of things is just consistently sticking to something. And that's huge. I mean, you're a big guy, you know, you, you can't like get big by going to the gym and doing bicep curls one day. And then maybe five days later, you're like, okay, I'm going to hit shoulders now. And then maybe three days later, you're like, I'm just going to go on a walk today. And then four days later, you're like, okay, I'm going to go down on the bicep right away. <laughs> it's like, it, it's the structure and the consistency. And that's kind of, I think, where the behavioral stuff really shines. Obviously, there are some strategies that are just simply bad. But a lot of strategies can be good if you just stick, actually stick to them. Right. So there are mega funds, like you mentioned, which have tons of money yeah and they have tons of things at their disposal that they can use in order to gather and synthesize Uh, information better than bobby and sally or whoever that are sitting at home on a computer trying to trade right so how does ultima kind of face i mean i know there are hedge funds that have like what they have like cameras at outside (laughs) of gold mines saying oh yeah this is how many buckets of gold they brought out of the gold mine today. Sure. And so that's how we know what in the next week they're going to show in their earnings report because that's how many. So yeah. they have things like that, which you or I don't have, right? So yeah. how, do you, how do we compete with that? And well, how does Ultima help do that? Yeah, you know, what's really exciting about that is, um, you know, going back to what Noah said about the behavioral piece. I mean, there are a lot of large hedge funds that did actually really poorly last year. There are some that did great. And there's some that did really, really poorly. And frankly, a lot of those hedge funds were concentrated in tech stocks. Even though they had all the great information in the world, they had some of the best graduates in the best schools who were able to model out and say, huh, when interest rates rise, risk uh, assets, which are usually long-dated tech stocks, are usually not the place to park your money. That's usually a pretty simple finance 101 thing, right? And obviously, we can sit here today, you know, hindsight's 2020, and we could say last year, that was a really bad move to be long tech, right? You would have lost about 30 or 35% of your fund. And if you use leverage even more, right? So, you know, what's interesting to your point is sometimes people do have great information, but then they have bad, you know, biases or synthesis, which means that, you know, they're not able to properly connect that information. And so for Noah and I, what we think we do good at Ultima is really process a lot of that qualitative information that is very subjective in its value, but we give investors the power to decide. And we think that's the most important part here because we're very early in the process. We focus on idea generation in terms of the investment process. And really, again, like I said, put stuff in front of an investor to give them to decide. So one example would be, you know, earlier this year, uh, we started running again. One of these ways we del- you know, deliver value is when we see emerging trends in the you know, macroeconomic scene, we deliver them uh, via email to investors who have certain stocks in a watch list, right? So one of the stocks that was in my watch list was uh, a fertilizer company that operates in the U.S. And uh, fertilizer prices are very much dependent on global crop prices. So, you know, if you use fertilizer to grow corn, farmers will buy more fertilizer if corn prices are high, so they can kind of lever up on their corn investment and make sure they have a huge harvest in the fall. Fertilizer is also used in crops like rice. So what happened in late April was rumors started swirling about a potential El Nino, which is a specific weather event that happens about every five, six years. We'd been in a La Nina um, since about 2018, 2019, which again, these affect weather patterns and affect what types of crops grow really well globally. So we had an El Nino starting to take place, it looked like in late April, and our uh, Ultima system picked up on that. One day delivered us an email saying, you know, a country in East Asia is warning about a rice shortage. The president doesn't think there's going to be a rice shortage, right? And it's like, that's interesting. You know, El Nino, what's going on there? And it gave us the ability to begin researching and saying, whoa, like when El Ninos take place, there's often a very strong rice shortage because there's often uh, insufficient rain in East Asia where a lot of the world's white rice is grown. And so, you know, for us, we were able to take a position in the fund related to this fertilizer stock, a company we had held but continued to hold. And as this El Nino took place, and we started to see droughts in the Midwest, we're seeing that this summer, related to you know, a shortfall of rain. And as you saw a shortfall of rice uh, production and crops in East Asia, you know, there's a real opportunity to benefit here. So 
from the time that the Ultima system first picked up on this in April, um, it warned again, I believe in late May and early June, rice prices are up about 15%. So what's really interesting, obviously, to that point is, you know, you look at this information and anybody who's you know, and I know the weather and the joke is meteorologists are just not good at predicting weather, right? <laughs> and, and I largely agree with that, right? But what's so interesting is that, you know, I'm not saying the system is better at a meteorologist or anything. What it does, though, is it gives you ideas to explore. And it's ideas to say, okay, we can do a path-dependent thing. We can plant all these ideas, kind of like little flowers in our backyard. And as certain things start to sprout and look interesting, gives you an opportunity as an investor to metaphorically water the idea, i.e. place a trade on it, right? So... You know, this was, you know, one of those great opportunities where qualitative information was out there about a potential El Nino shortage. We appreciated that information and took it seriously. And uh, the market definitely took that information seriously later. But it did not take the information seriously when it first came out. And, you know, the reasons behind that are, you know, who knows, right? The market works in, in mysterious ways. But the idea is for Ultima to present you ideas and risks early so that you as an investor have the power to make those decisions. So... I guess in, in a, in a it's interesting when you're in finance, the way to look at it, a lot of people look at it is there's a lot of math involved here, right? But you just told yeah. me a lot about weather patterns and how yeah. that affects agriculture and fertilizer prices. And so it's interesting. What are some of the things that you guys have learned through doing a kind of well, career in finance, building businesses yeah. around finance that you wouldn't have expected? Hmm. I think, Noah, you, you've uh, got a lot of stuff that I think you've taken away from kind of the option pricing we've been doing, if you want to yeah. talk about that. Yeah, that's like specific. I'm kind of trying to think um, more broadly, like more general here. I mean, I can talk to you about uh, volatility, and I think that's actually an interesting thing, is volatility. Uh, options pricing is really based off of the market's expectations. So talk to me like I'm an idiot. What's, okay, okay, what's okay, an option? Okay, okay. So pretty much an option is like a complex financial instrument. You have a stock... And then you have this other thing on top of the stock that says, hey, one of us can do a thing with this. Like maybe uh, you'll let me buy 100 shares or you let me sell you 100 shares. But now let's think about like how do you actually price that? Like what's that worth? So it's like an insurance or something, It can something, be used right? as an insurance, right? But the, the idea there is that it's priced based off of what we kind of think a consensus is on where the stock is going to go. Mm-hmm. And so in a way, it acts as an average of market expectations. But if you look at the pricing, there are some weird biases in there that aver- it averages out to the bias, right? And that's effectively uh, a mathematician we both follow uh, talks about that a lot. But the idea is, this is kind of a good takeaway for any field here, is that the average expectation might be a little bit lower in regards to uh, extreme events than it actually is. Mm. Like, oh, we couldn't see uh, this coming or that coming. It's, but the, the real underlying question is not whether or not something's going to come. It's whether or not you can withstand it. Like, how do you build a robust system that regardless of what happens, you can actually withstand it, if that makes sense. Which is, You've been reading Nassim Taleb or of something? Of course, yes, that's the mathematician. <laughs> But that actually applies to finance very well, right? Because if the market's down X percent, you also don't want to be down X percent. You want to be down less than X percent, right? So how you build something that actually responds to that. It's very interesting and it's a very hard thing to wrap your head around. It is. Um, Not only is that hard to wrap your head around, but you guys are also doing Ultima, which is an AI powered company and I don't even understand AI (laughs) so I'm sitting here feeling like an idiot because you guys because you guys described to me what what the like AI part of ultimate is and how that works it's yeah it's like uh not as complicated as we might make it out to be like with any complex problem if you just break it down into smaller pieces and it's like everything's like a chain of functions it's a chain of this thing does this okay take that thing out of there and put it in here and then this thing does that then you move on to the next thing, right? It's just this chain of functions. I, I unfortunately probably on a podcast can't tell you exactly <laughs> what that chain of functions is for uh, Ultima, but effectively we're watching for things related to a company. And the AI is the thing that's like telling us what's important to a company. And it's also the thing that's helping us watch for that. 
but maybe if uh, I don't know, you own some real estate. Where where's the real estate you own exactly? Central Illinois. Okay, so in Central Illinois, maybe you're curious about just in general what's going on regulatory around renting, and that's important for your business for Jacobs Real Estate Firm, right? And that kind of stuff doesn't always get connected explicitly, which is a travesty, because that's pretty damn relevant to what you're doing. So that's kind of how we're thinking. I just gave you a roundabout answer, but that's kind of how we're thinking about this. How do you take one of those things that is important but not obviously important and then bring it back to it? Okay, so... I'll describe it back to you, yes, sure. and you tell me how wrong I am or how right I am. So basically, you have a computer program that okay. goes through and it looks at what'd you say, two hundred fifty thousand or yeah. some crazy number uh, amount of articles. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then it goes through and it pulls all the data that has something to do with what you're thinking about. Uh-huh. And then you have an AI go and look at all this data and say, "What does this even mean?" Yeah, and how do they connect to each other. Yeah, and so if you have like. Part. I don't know, you have agriculture prices, yeah. and then you have weather, uh-huh. and then you have fertilizer prices, and you have how the weather affects the growth of the agriculture, which then yeah. affects the prices of uh-huh. your fertilizer. Now you have an AI that can see the connection between all those different sure. things and synthesize yeah. that data in a way that you can actually see in your inbox every morning and say, oh, okay, like yeah. this, this is why this matters to me. This is why... like." the price of tea in China and like sure, the way sure. the weather patterns are going actually uh, matter to the stocks that I hold, which is a part of a watch list, right? That's a great way to put it. Okay. All right. And so you've been working on this for how long, Ultima? Uh, when did we start the AI now? I mean, the actual development of the system really started in December of last year. So, you know, what was really convenient for us was, I mean, we wanted to build something like this since last summer, right? Because that was really... You know, the market was crazy, everything was volatile, and the question of, you know, every day was, why is my stock moving like 5% today, right? Like, mm-hmm. doesn't seem like it should be. And, you know, a lot of cases, it was just noise. In fact, I think it just about every single case, it was noise. But, you know, we wanted to build a news monitoring system then. So we started the company last year, late July, so it's been about a year now. But the actual development of the AI that you're seeing today came in December, and ChatGPT really allowed us to accelerate that because... You know, one of the things we had been exploring was using a lot of machine learning models. And so, you know, that's a different type of artificial intelligence than a large language model. And so when we started to integrate large language models into our business and really using those to process a lot of qualitative information, we think it changed the game. Because, you know, now we're able to take the systems that we've brought in in-house, which are proprietary, and allow us to do a lot of the filtering that makes the, the news flow that we do provide and the information that we deliver every morning in emails or on our dashboard very relevant. Um, you know, it, the, the in-house models have been able to take care of that, but a lot of the explainability of this data is best accomplished with a large language model. And we think that's one of the most important parts here because, you know, humans since, since the beginning of time been building machines, right? And what's so fascinating about machines nowadays is we've reached the point where most people don't understand what happens inside a large language model. Like you put the input in and the output goes out and it's not the same thing. It's something called non-deterministic. So, you know, if I ask you this morning, uh, what's your favorite food? You might say, I don't know, what's your favorite food? I don't know, it depends on the day. I'll say steak. Exactly, right. So and tomorrow, that one. <laughs> yeah. So so today you're saying steak, but tomorrow you might say, I don't know, whatever. Mashed potatoes. Mashed Who potatoes, sure. exactly, right? Um, That's how large language models are. And what's really interesting is this is the first machine that humans have built that does not have a direct cause and effect. So everything else, like a, like a literal engine in a car, if the spark goes off and it ignites and it works how it's supposed to, you know what the output is. You can calculate that. It's hard to calculate that with AI because it's non-deterministic. Because in a lot of ways, artificial intelligence is, is built on a series of probabilities. So you put in uh, a question in a sentence, and that sentence is translated back to vectors. Um, and I'm not even one of the technical guys on the team knows more technical than me, so correct me if this is wrong. But you put in these, these sentences that are you know, full of words, and you've connected them to vectors, which are numbers represented with arrows in different directions. And all the large language model is trying to do, and this is what ChatGPT does, is estimate the probability of the next word in the sentence. So if you say, you know, I have a car with four doors and four windows, it also has blank number of wheels, it's going to reasonably assume it's four wheels, 
right? It's going to make a probability guess. It's going to say, okay, 85% chance, right? But the problem is when you multiply a bunch of probabilities together, even if they're uh, conditional probabilities on each other, you will not get the same outcome each time, much like a human, right? Because if you ask 100 people, if you got a car with four doors and four windows, right? Like, how many wheels do you have? There is somebody out there that runs like a, like a three-wheel car, right? Or, or has you know, an 18-wheeler. Or, or has an 18-wheeler, like right? exactly. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So, or has like a dually on a truck, right? Like something like that. And so that's what's so fascinating about these models. So for us, it's like, okay, you know, our system is going to filter. And usually every time it filters, that's pretty deterministic. What's not deterministic is the explainability around it. And that's been part of the exciting part and the challenge because every time it explains something a little bit differently. So you learn kind of how it, think is a strong word because in artificial intelligence, the idea of, of true consciousness is, is a concept of singularity, which I don't think anybody's believe we've actually hit. But um, explainability of our models is fascinating because every time output changes slightly and we have to refine the prompts. But as we're refining these prompts, we learn a little bit more about how it operates. So we've learned, and a lot of people have learned this as well, that when you, when you work with a large language model and you repeat the same instructions like three times in a sentence or you capitalize the instructions, the probability of it answering that question correctly to your instructions goes up, much like a human. You know, if you say the same thing over and over to a human in a request, the human is more likely to you know, do it exactly how you want it because you've reiterated the important parts. Large language models are very similar. So. And this is how you power Ultima, basically? Part of it, yeah. So I'm interested. You said something interesting. You said you've been thinking about kind of you had an issue with your business that was you guys were reading news all the time. And then ChatGPT comes along, which makes it a lot easier for you to automate this with an AI feature. Yeah. So for me, when ChatGPT came out, I was like, whoa, easier way to do homework. Let's go. <laughs> right? And so how... Talk me through a little bit how, like, when, when events like this come up, when trends come up like you were speaking about earlier, in finance, there's pretty straightforward ways to capitalize on that, right? Mm, like, yeah. you buy or sell, or you can go a little one step further and say, I'll put take an option, either a put or whatever it is, in order to make that trend in some way useful to you, right? Yeah. So for these things that aren't quite as easy to comprehend or easy to say like, okay, I'll just do this or this. How do you set yourself up to use those situations for your, for your best benefit, right? So for you guys using chat GPT, when it comes out, open AI drops it. Now you can use that and leverage it to use your business. How do you set your guys yourselves up to be best prepared for those situations? I think uh, a great quote that I have carried with me for a while now is opportunity favors the prepared. And I, I don't know how much that directly applies to our situation here because our situation in regards to the advent of GPT was very much luck adjacent because we uh, literally, we can find the meeting notes, but I think it was November 27th or November 20th or something. We were in a meeting room and we were trying to do too many things. We were looking at options pricing. We were looking at options APIs uh, and this news monitoring idea. And we just said, okay, which of these does it make most sense to pursue right now? And we decided to go with the news monitoring. And, you know, two weeks later, everybody's talking about GPT. And we're like, wait a minute, this is a pretty good use case for this. Uh, that being said, I think it's more so like not actually getting caught up in trends and being really uh, agnostic to that as much as possible. Where if something's going on, you shouldn't do something just because something else is going on. Mm -hmm. it, it's... Uh, just because everybody's doing a thing doesn't mean you should do a thing. And back to uh, efficient markets and just bias, actually more so than efficient markets, just biases, right? Like uh, for some reason we as humans do this thing where other people are doing it and we're like, oh, we have to do this other thing that everybody's already doing and that's how you get bubbles. That's how you get people chasing this thing. It's like a recursive repopulating thing. So it's uh, if everybody in this house that we're in, if maybe four of us hit critical mass and we all start doing this habit and then the, the next guy does it and the next guy does it and the next guy does it. Uh, that's kind of extrapolated up to a massive scale. And what I would say is don't do that just to do it. That's like not a great thing. And if you're just whipsawing around, I don't know how much you're going to get done. So if you're, sa you're saying that if I want to start a company today, yeah. I shouldn't just randomly run into it 
AI and say, I'm starting an AI business just no, because everyone else is. Hell no. I mean, like, <laughs> you should do something you're good at, something you're interested in, something that's profitable. And if AI happens to be an accelerant for any one of those things, sure. If AI happens to be a tool you use in your own work, like I'm sure there's applications for this podcast, for marketing this podcast, right? Or for even your real estate. So that's like some things are tools and getting excited about them is great, but I don't know how much sense it makes. Actually, I believe it does not make sense explicitly to do things just because other people are doing them. Just following trends can be dangerous. I agree. I agree. I think that one thing that helped you guys was you already taking action, right? So people that are sitting in their room watching Netflix 12 hours a day and say, oh, I want to start a business and I think I'm going to use AI, right? I think it can work. You yeah. could be a genius and like have something up your sleeve that you randomly fall on or whatever could happen, right? But I think it's much easier to make something useful to you if you're already doing something to where it yeah. can be useful. Like you said, it's a tool, not the end-all be-all, yeah, AI right? is not the business. It's Right. Yeah. It's what is helping you make the business more efficient, yes. right? Yeah, and and I think on that point, right? Like you said, I mean that's not to say that you know the the six or eight months we've been working on this, right? We have some sort of unbeatable advantage. Absolutely not. I mean, someone could come out tomorrow and just destroy us, right? As could most of these AI businesses. They have very uh, fragile moats in the beginning, especially. And so I think for us, it's about making sure. And and this has been a process of growing for us is is making sure the products we make have the best, like literally fit like a glove on the need of the customer. And so we found traction, very, you know, beginnings of it, right? But we found some traction related to, again, adding value with these news digests and this news monitor. Um, so we have a, you know, partnership with a broker now and a partnership with an open source uh, research platform. But again, there were other things we were building with Ultima originally that did not have that. And so, you know, yes, it's, it's good to build a business that solves your own pain points. And it's good to build a business that you know the tools provide at least somebody yourself value, right? But that doesn't mean that it provides a huge quantity of people value. And what we're, you know, finding that's really fascinating about the hedge fund space is everybody does stuff differently. Every single firm. In fact, by definition, inherently, if you're a firm with an edge in a market, that means you're doing something that's at least not commonly known. If not, it's not known to anybody else. It's the whole point of an edge. And so building tools to help those people when processes are disjointed and processes are not unique uh, is, is part of the exciting challenge. And so you have to think really like basic sometimes, like what are the things that most people do as investors, right? You know, very basic. And one of those for us is they, they read a lot of information. And, you know, our, our angle so far, our, our spiel has been news, right? But an area we've been looking to put a lot of investment into is like earnings calls, right? So we have features we're working on in relation to that or reading uh, SEC filings, right? You know, those are things that we know a lot of investors do. And even though they're going to do a million different things with these same pieces of paper that we have in front of us, you know, we can help them with that. And so kind of thinking about common denominators has been really part of the powerful part with it. Mm. Okay. So for the interest of time, I think I have a lot more I want to get to. So much okay. more I want to get to. Yeah. But we were running out of time. So right. what I'm going to do is I'm going to sit, I'm going to sit, I'm going to say kind of what I learned about you guys' business, okay. and then you'll tell me right or wrong, and we'll see where, where I am with understanding your business. Yeah. And then from there, I want you each to give like a very short kind of rundown on what brought you to starting the business um, for maybe what got you interested in entrepreneurship, and I'm going to give you like a minute and a half, and I will cut you off. <laughs> so, so I'll make sure you guys go fast, and I can help you along with that. But yeah. And then we can we can talk about kind of what's the future for for the different things that uh, you guys are doing. Cool, cool. So first, um, just just to make sure I understand, you guys started a hedge fund, and you started with a test fund, and then you started with another test fund, and these were this was money that you guys brought together. Yep. And then you use that money to test out your theories about strategies in the markets, and these did well, and so you took that those uh, those strategies that you saw and had other people invest into you, which is a crazy story in itself. And I wish you had more time. I'd like to dive a little bit more into that and how you convince people at 21 years old to <laughs> invest their hard and earn money into you. Yeah. But that's a story for another day. So after doing that, you guys are now running, running a hedge fund. And so you're running your strategies. And while you're running your strategies, you say, man, like we're reading a lot of news. 
And that seems like to do what we're doing all the time because we really want to understand what we're investing in and how that investing is, is going and what we kind of think the future is of these investments and how we can capitalize on those. And so you're saying, okay, well, maybe we need to figure out a way to make this process that's taking us forever a little bit easier and faster so that we can be more efficient on it. And then a couple of weeks later, here comes ChatGPT and you're like, whoa, we could use this. This could help us with this situation. And so for the past eight months or so, you've been building a business that helps you see all the news around the stocks that you hold and also potentially sell that to other people as a tool that they can do the same thing when they're running hedge funds or they're running, they're investing themselves like as a a retail trader, right? Yeah. Or potentially, you know, some people that are doing similar things by, you know, writing articles to say like, hey, you should check out these top 10 stocks because they're awesome. And they, when they're doing their journal journalism, they have a tool that can help them find all these things easier. Is that, is that good? Did I misrepresent any of that? No, those are all very applicable use cases. Um, You know, it's just a question for us. And this is something we've been trying to figure out for our own business for Ultima. You know, you outlined three or four potentially really solid directions where to take this business. And so for us, it's saying, okay, which of those do we go after right now? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Because we could full go full force on any one of those. And we think, you know, probably the vast majority of these routes could be successful, right? But what is optimal? And that's been kind of the exciting but also challenging part for us because obviously there are certain circles of competency we have, right? And I shouldn't say we have the beginnings of, right? Because we're 22, mm-hmm. right? But kind of investing and especially more on a retail side, now it's becoming more professional with this fund. That's been one of them, right? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, journalists, uh, that's another area that we might be able to help with, right? But again, we don't understand the journalism process you know, to any degree, largely. We know that firms write stories about stocks, right? We don't know what the input is to say for certainty, and we, you know, we can view the output, right? But that's uh, it's a little more murky. So, you know, just for us having conversations about where do we want to take this technology and put it has been, again, exciting, but also a challenge, so. Yeah, what about you, Noah? You think, do you think as well, I, I said did a good job of explaining? You did a explaining? phenomenal job. Okay, well, I'm doing my best here because I, <laughs> you guys are in fields that I totally don't understand. Jacob, so, you're way smarter than you give yourself credit for. <laughs> I don't think that's true. But, okay, so I'm going to give each of you, starting with you, Noah, um, <laughs> I'm going to give you like a minute and a half to explain okay. kind of your origin story, what got you interested in entrepreneurship, and how it led you to finance and <clears throat> Ultima. Okay, cool. Yeah, I mean, for context, he was looking at me when he said that, so we're going with uh, me on this one. <laughs> But uh, essentially, I would think I would say, uh, to some extent, the danger of relying on any one person to make a decision for you. I think it was Buffett that said, anyone who determines your income determines your outcome. Mm-hmm. That's not a great thing. And that kind of goes with, I was reading Taleb and like Tim Ferriss, freshman year, and it's, uh, do I want to be in a fragile position where somebody can tell me no, and then I have to go find a new job? And the answer to that is, no, I don't. And I was doing finance, just... No, when I had started an options trading club, I was enjoying a strategy. He had a similar strategy he was playing around with, so I said, this seems scalable, which is, you know, a relatively important thing when it comes to leverage. How can you build something that has leverage? And it's leverage in regards to time, because if I do one action with $10 in a portfolio, but then I just change the $10 to $1,000, now I have a better output for the same input which is what I mean by leverage there. We don't take on leverage um, in that in the margin sense, but we leverage our time by doing the same thing for more people. Right. Uh, if I'm trading with a dollar versus I'm trading with a million dollars, if I make exactly. 1% on that dollar, I'm making like a, a <laughs> one cent versus a million dollars, I'm making much more than that, right? It's but it's the same amount of time that I yeah. take to do it, right? It's scalable. Uh, yeah, I don't want to be fired. <laughs> I don't want to have to deal with that. And I, I don't know, I'm a very uh, independent person. We'll go with that word. Uh, different words you could use there, but we'll go with that one. And I think this is best for me. Yeah, that makes sense. I mean, if you're a business owner and you have 50 customers and one of them says, I don't like you. You have 49 left. If you have <laughs> one boss and he says, I don't like you, wow. you're kind of screwed, right? Yeah, what a, you have zero left. What a different situation to be in between those right. two things. Yeah, exactly. That's awesome. Great, great explanation. All right, Noah, your turn. <laughs> yeah, so, I mean, I don't know if my, my 
origin story can can match up to Noah's. I mean, I think he's he's underselling a lot of the the facets that really got him uh, involved in this in the beginning. Um, but for me, it was a uh, it was curiosity related for um, going for a drive with my parents. So every day when I was younger, my parents used to drive me to school, and every day we passed this one gas station on the corner, and that gas station had you know like every other gas station prices on the pump. Those prices changed every single day. And one day I was like, why are these prices moving every day? Like, prices don't move every day in the grocery store. What's going on here? And so my parents were like, well, there's this thing called the oil market. And it's related to this thing called the stock market. And I was like, whoa, like, that's really cool. And so, you know, there are these people that, like, they put on their suits and they dipped out for work every day. And I'm like, well, it, it must be related to their job, right? And it could not be farther from the truth. Like, they, are, <laughs> they are, like, management consultants. Like, they got a 401k, but, like, that's their extent of, you know, involvement really in the market, right? And so... You know, for me, it was like, okay, so they knew the basics, um, and they were answering my questions every day when they came home from work, but I think Dad got annoyed one day, and he was like, no, like, like put your money where your mouth is, and I'm like, well, Dad, I'm 12, what do I do? And, <laughs> and so, he's like, well, let, let's get you set up, and so we, you know, he opened a TD Ameritrade account for me. I was literally not old enough to sign the paperwork, so it was one of those little minor custody accounts, and I had 100 bucks left over for my birthday, and I was like, okay, like, let's see what happens, and so we put 100 bucks in the S&P 500, and... Kind of the rest was history from there. And so for a lot of my birthdays and Christmases going forward, and when I did yard work, right, bought a little stock. Um, you know, like one year I asked for like Ford for Christmas, right? Like, God, you know, what a nerd, right? Well, he's, <laughs> he's just, he's asking for Ford. Yeah, no, no, not the car. I want some stock. <laughs> no, not, not a car. No, 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 no. I want like shares of Ford Motor, yeah. And so um, it just became a passion for me. And so when I found someone that was as crazy as me to want to roll the dice during college and, you know, build a fund out of it and make it a full-time thing, uh, I was like, okay, like, screw it let's go for it um and i think again it, it was a curiosity that that pushed us to do it but it was also realization is like how the current path for entrepreneurship works in finance and so in finance when you do entrepreneurship you're expected to work about two to three years in investment banking and then you might go to buy side you might go to a private equity fund or something and then after maybe a few years there you can consider going to maybe like a hedge fund and then after you've worked at a hedge fund for three or four years right um, you know, then maybe you're in like your early thirties and you're like, you know what, maybe, maybe now I'm good to open a fund and then you raise money and you launch a fund. Right. And I just know that at our age right now, if we take the risk on our careers, obviously we're not risking the investor money. The money for the investors actually run in a fairly conservative strategy compared to other investment strategies in the market. But our career risk, we can afford to take that right now because if we fail, we can get a job. It'll be fine. Right. Like the worst case, get a job. We'll be fine. We're, we have no mortgage. You know, I you know, no car payments, right? No student loans, fortunate for that, right? And no so, wife and kids. No wife and kids, exactly. Yeah. So there's nothing like other than your own mouth and like literally paying the rent you gotta put over your head, uh, that that are your obligations. And so with that you can take much more risk when you're young. And so I, I know me with no regrets from this and so happy to say that. You guys are both very logical people, right? Like mm-hmm. Noah Jacobs, you said and it like it makes way more sense to have a lot. 50 customers because if one guy doesn't like me then like I'm still okay yeah and then Noah Cox you said you know like if I want to take risks and want to do this eventually like I should probably do it now and not later when I have all these things that are going to keep me from doing risks and so I think also something that's very interesting about you too is your co-founder dynamic right because you guys have both worked on two businesses together and these were like your most both of you I think your first like big entrepreneurial like skin yeah, the game yeah. ventures right and so talk me through a little bit of how that co-founder dynamic works um, between you two I, I think it's interesting because I think we play similar roles at the same time and different roles at different times and, and I can speak my own two cents on it and obviously Noah as well but um, for me it's I, I think it varies so I think a lot of the times I come to Noah with really out there ideas Yep. And on most of them, they're like, no, these are really stupid. Like, go back to the drawing board. Like, get out of here, right? Um, once in a while, he's like, huh, like, okay. And so, like, we just, like, we do the due diligence. And then it's like, you know, there's there might be something here. We make an investment, right? And the vice versa happens as well, right? And so what I think the power is of having two people um, is the power to say no, I think, is really important. And so, you know, if it's just yourself, it's it takes a an extreme level of discipline to look at yourself in the mirror and say, yeah, you just created that idea and you're biased to that idea, but like no to that idea, right? Whereas if you have people in a relationship to, you know, in this case across, you know, us from the table and over at Ultima, four of us, right? It's a lot easier to get someone to say no. And then it's like, okay, now you got to defend that idea, like support Mm -hmm. it. Like, what are you thinking? Why are you doing this? And so I think with the power of that is a lot of crap gets weeded out. Um, yeah, it's super easy to make logical jumps in your head and say yep. like, 
oh yeah, this makes sense because of this, this, and then yeah, kind of yeah, then yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but when you're saying it in front of three other people that are co-founders yeah. that also have their skin, whole skin careers in, the game, skin yep. in the game, yeah, you really have to defend yourself and actually say, okay, this is actually why I believe, it. and it gives you a lot more like integrity intellectually when you're making decisions, which I think is very yeah. beneficial. And, and that's not to say I'm perfect at it either. I think Noah does a great job of, of calling me out on crap that I'm dreaming up or after I like ideas where he's like, God, he must've hit his head on the <laughs> um, But yeah, so I don't know. That's my own side of the story. Noah's being too hard on himself. But uh, in general, I think that's a good way to put it where it is very much a check on what you're thinking. And that's important. And one thing that Noah is better about, he, he gets distracted less than I do, which is an important quality and uh, important there. So I think, yeah, I think those things are important, checking each other and also holding each other accountable. Pretty much what you were saying, Jacob, the idea about intellectual discipline, also just discipline everywhere. Mm. Like, wait, you, you didn't do this over the last week. Like, let's talk about why. And maybe it's a good reason. And maybe it's, okay, wait, we should communicate better about that. Maybe that was something that never should have been done in the first place. And yeah, so it's forcing honesty in a way, I think is the biggest thing. Yeah. Is, yeah, because if it is hard to be honest with yourself, that's one of the hardest thing there, things there is. But if you're with somebody else who's also vested in you being honest with yourself, I think that's an important quality yeah i think also living with you guys i've seen some differences in the way you guys treat the business mm-hmm. um and i like i like for each of you guys to talk talk a little bit about that i mean i think no you're very no jacobs you're <laughs> <laughs> you're very regimented on okay i'm i'm going to sleep at this time and i, I track my whoop and i track everything that i do yeah. and it says if I take this much caffeine this day, then I'll have this much recovery and I need to go sure. to the gym and do this, 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 and yeah. wear my blue light glasses. And that, I assume, helps you perform at a high level. Mm-hmm. Whereas Noah Cox, you're so extremely passionate and driven about it that you can't, you're, you're up till 2 a.m. thinking about it and doing things about it mm. at all times. And kind of talk to me a little bit about how you guys each think about, you know, general lifestyles as it relates to the business and how you feel like those complement each other if they do at all that's a really interesting and insightful question i think for me it actually goes back the the reason i do everything you just said is it it actually goes back to opportunity favors the prepared where i want to be we've joked about this as optimized as possible right what does that even mean that's i think uh, actually that's not a great term for it but I want to be as prepared as possible for what needs to be done. So if something comes up, I don't want to be hung over on a, at like 9 a.m. on a Tuesday morning. That is not prepared for whatever comes up. Uh, regardless of how hard or whatever I think I am, I am going to perform more poorly if I am hung over <laughs> on a Tuesday morning than if I uh, have been up and at it for three hours. And that's that's how it works for me, at least. And, yeah, so that's kind of the way I'm viewing it, where it's, I, I view health as a bank account, and you can do certain things to increase, or maybe not even a bank account, maybe more like a health bar in a video game. That's a better way to, to view it. You can make certain investments that increase your maximum health, and then you have more slack, where I know before I was very inconsistent, and now I can comment on this, I was very inconsistent with my sleep schedule, and that would result in actually sleeping more. Mm-hmm. And by being more regimented, if I need to do a five-hour night, I can do a five-hour night. It's not like ideal, but if on average I'm getting what is needed or what I think I need, then when I have to do four or five-hour nights in a row, it's not terribly big deal it's not ideal but i don't know it's like how do you run at a good pace for the longest time possible and that's what i'm focused on in regards to health is what is 
sustainable for me and gives me optionality. Those two things. Hmm. Is that make yeah, sense? Yeah. Yeah. No, it seems like like for you, it's it's a little bit different, right? It's more of a yeah. Business comes first over everything else, and like yeah, the 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 health stuff can wait. Like whatever. <laughs> not that you don't take good care of yourself, yeah. but it's just like that's not what's important right now, right? Like you yeah. running. Uh, five minute miles are you like bench yeah. pressing like three four hundred pounds that's Full not what's most important right now either of those <laughs> <laughs> that, but that's not what's important right now what's yeah. important right now is the business and that's kind of how you like it you talk to me a little bit about that yeah yeah so i mean it's not like i'm to your point trashing my health i mean i think i keep myself in relatively like de- okay shape right? right like i eat largely right you know so i'm not like the most fit person out there right i mean you guys are pretty small each right but <laughs> You know, I'm not, right? If anybody looks me up on LinkedIn, they'll find that out or wherever, right? Um, but what is important for me is keeping myself in a place where I'm I'm stable from a health perspective, but I do believe in um, good ideas following a Pareto distribution. So there's a quote out there, which is that if you look at Berkshire Hathaway, so Warren Buffett's company's stock price, and you look at the gains since he got involved in the company in 1965 or 68, whenever, 80% of the gains are attributed to him making just 12 decisions. Mm-hmm. The man makes thousands of decisions every year thousands right but he made 12 good decisions and even here in our house Yashar for his businesses he said I can point to most of my success being a handful of about two months each two months each benders that he Mm -hmm. went on to build pieces of his business right and so I do think that good ideas and certain progress is very much gauged in many places as a sprint right and you know what we've been building this summer is in a lot of places that I mean when you um when you first saw us coming at the beginning of the summer, right, we were closing up our angel round. And now it's about us finding product market fit for our, our product. And so for me, it's every day, it's, I use the, this is a Peter Lynch thing, right? So water your flowers, cut your weeds, right? So I've been in the backyard and our backyard here in Texas is a complete desert, right? But, <laughs> um, I've been in my metaphorical backyard planting seeds and watching what's growing and saying, okay, like we should go over here and water this one, or we should go over here and cut this weed, right? And I think we're starting to see a couple things grow. And I think that's really exciting. So for me, it's, it's, I'm tending to those things and there'll be a point I step back and I watch them grow and I go, you know, into the metaphorical house or in the metaphorical garage and start pumping iron. Right? But, <laughs> uh, for me, that's not now. And that's not to say that that's optimal. I think it takes multiple people with different perspectives in the business to do that. Right. Because, you know, when I'm, you know, focusing on different things, it's, it's easy for me to, you know, go over to the flower in the corner and water that one. Right. Versus something on the other side of the, the yard. And so Noah, I think is good at holding, me and, and everyone else on the team accountable and saying, okay, guys, like, is this a legit opportunity or this opportunity is not going as fast as we wanted to? Are we, should we still pursue it, right? Or guys, we really need to double down on this opportunity. I think this is one of those opportunities that needs consistency. So, you know, um, he said earlier, it's, he, you said like, I was the one that like finishes things and accomplishes things. I, I don't think I've got some sort of edge on you. I think, you know, I, I you know, get stuff done at, at probably somewhere slightly less rate than you in terms of like actually completing things um that's not to say i I don't complete a lot of things i think we both complete 99 percent of the things that we set out to do but it's it's a different working style to your point absolutely i think right now involves sprints and that comes from me personally the curiosity and the passion about this i mean i think about this again like you have observed this summer like 24 7 yeah it's in the showers i'm falling asleep it's when I'm bored on my computer, some people, you know, or you're bored on your phone, some people hop on TikTok, right? I don't even have TikTok, right? What do I do? I read the news about the stocks involved, right? Because for me, it's it's just something that I just am obsessed about in a way. Mm. And maybe it's unhealthy. I don't know. Um, well, it's, it's not to say either way of doing it is better or worse. Yeah, and it's exactly. not saying either way is, could be better for everyone. It's what works best for you. and. Yeah. And honestly, it seems like from an outside perspective, I don't know what you guys take on this, but it seems like having different ways of doing things within the same team can almost be more effective because you kind of balance each other out from all the things that one lifestyle might be missing over the other, right? Because as one person, you kind of can't leave tons of room for creativity and all these create like different things Mm -hmm. while also optimizing for this and this and this and dialing everything in exactly you know yeah. what I mean? So you, you kind of have to have another person with different perspectives, different lifestyles, different things that kind of all come together and aid into one business vehicle, right? Yeah. So yeah, that's that's kind of how I think about it. We are running low on time. Oh, I no. said we wouldn't go over an hour and we're at 59.34. Oh, no. So I think we, have a, we, have, we can make it go a little bit longer, okay. but we just have one more major thing I want to talk about is kind of where you guys see yourselves 
heading in the future, um, both personally and um, as the business. Um, kind of what's your what's your overall goal with entrepreneurship? Um, Noah Jacobs, you can start first. Like, what's kind of your overall goal? I'll, I'll let Noah with everything? go first and formulate my answer. I, <laughs> Sounds good. Yeah. Um, I guess for me, I mean, it's this is something I'm passionate about, and I've been on this train since I was 12, and I'm I'm gonna see the end of this. Uh, you know, good, bad, ugly, whatever it goes to. So. This is my focus for now, um, and it'll be my focus for the foreseeable future. But I think after that, it's uh, collecting and telling really good stories. Um, and a lot of investing is doing that. You know, you do research, you collect these stories on companies and businesses and their backgrounds, and you tell those stories. You write research reports, you communicate it to your investors. And even if what I'm doing in the future doesn't involve investing directly, it will be a lot of that. Because I think, you know, what we are are just people on journeys in, in a finite life, and, you know, we're all going to die one day, right? So you know, might as well collect some really good stories on the way. And so for me, that's uh, currently optimizing, you know, for, <laughs> for, for that right now, collecting stories and telling them in the world of, of finance in a way. And uh, I don't know where I'll go in the future, but it'll probably involve something like that. Awesome. What about you, Noah? Yeah, I like solving hard problems, and I'm trying to get financial freedom, I would say. Okay. So this is a really difficult problem to solve, so I'm trying to solve it. And it also is congruent with that goal of financial freedom at some point if we do this right. I think something else I was thinking about actually during our conversation is making learning real. Mm. Uh, I'll give you an example from jujitsu. Uh, somebody, my, my coach has, has said maybe a million times to me, two on one, two on one, two on one, which means a lot of the times your goal is to take two of your hands and put them on one of your opponents or two of your limbs on one of your opponent's limbs. And I had heard that, and I knew that, but I never understood it until maybe like a year into training. I was going with somebody, and I grabbed one of his hands with two of mine, and I was throwing him around like a rag doll. And all of a sudden, it clicked, mm. where you can be told a thing, but until you actually experience that, it's not necessarily real. It's not a real earned understanding. And I've read a lot of books, but like this is... <laughs> actually doing this is making those books real right it's like oh i knew that <laughs> but i didn't understand it and now i actually do understand it which is a really strange thing because you think you read something you're like oh that's great that's great that's great uh, let me make that, that that's real to me and it, it's not mm-hmm. at least for me sometimes it is right maybe sometimes you get it but you really get a respect for that once you actually experience Something like that, where you read it, and then all of a sudden, holy shit, this is real. Right. It makes the learning real. So I hope that kind of answers your question. I kind of took it off the rails, but... No, yeah, that that definitely makes sense. Could you guys touch a little bit on where you see Ultima and Noah's Ark going in the the near future? Yeah, absolutely. So... I think, again, it's it's really about scaling up our relationships with, um, you know, I'm, I'm going to talk about Ultima and then Noah's Ark. Um, scaling up our relationships with uh, groups of people that can provide us, you know, uh, customers we hope to add value to. So, you know, a lot of firms in this industry, when they source customers in the beginning, uh, they're, they're cold calling retail, they're cold calling wealth managers, they're cold calling hedge funds. And we've done a little bit of that, don't get me wrong. But we, we think it's very efficient to target effective distribution channels. So for us, it's we can add a lot of value to a broker and we can help a broker provide more tools to their traders so that the traders trade more on those brokerage platforms, right? So it's a great alignment of incentives. And I think that's one of the important parts here is find business partners have an alignment of incentives, right? And these brokers are that. So we have a partnership with a broker called Trader now, um, looking to have conversations with another two brokers that we're talking to right now about doing more partnerships of the same vein. But yeah, doing that. And then for Noah's Ark, uh, we have one fund now, maybe scaled up into another fund in the real estate space. I could talk about that for hours, but I won't. Um, but yeah, kind of just working uh, in synergy with the two of them. Awesome. And then Noah, you want to touch on Noah's Ark? Yeah, I think Noah's Ark, what's really interesting about that is to some extent it's a time game. Uh, you'd be surprised, but when you're 21 or 22 and you go to an investor and you say, hey, would you like to invest? Uh, you can guess what the response would be. It's, uh, you're 21. <laughs> and uh, that's, you know, a pretty valid point. I mean, don't get me wrong. We've been able to raise the money. Yeah, here's 10 grand. Please don't use it on booze. <laughs> right? <laughs> Literally that. But uh, I, I'm sure somebody has said almost those exact words to us. 
But the idea there is twofold in conjunction with Ultima. As time passes, we actually do build up a track record. Mm -hmm. And that matters a lot. Uh, there are some people who won't even touch you if you don't have a three or f three or four or five year track record, and that's very important, especially when you're young. Because when you're young, it's like, oh, are you guys just doing this for funsies? Is this like a school project? Some good way to spend some time in a school project, right? That's a serious concern. But with working on Ultima is giving us a chance to extend the runway to extend the the timeline of the fund so to speak because we're not doing business development for the fund right now right we're not running around trying to raise money for it that energy is going to you know ultima yeah we're still managing the money in the fund and we're still putting energy into that but we're not focusing on the business development of the fund because we believe that the conditional probability in in regards to raising money goes up and our success in regards to that as time goes on and we kind of, uh, yeah, as time goes on and also maybe hopefully even build up some credibility with, hey, we built this awesome AI and X and Y and Z are using it and we are too. Right. And that's a pretty decent value prop for 20-something-year-olds. Uh, a bit more compelling and a bit more what people would expect to hear because you don't really always expect to hear, uh, hey, I'm 21 or 22 and I'm running a hedge fund. That's pretty bizarre and i think having some sort of technological edge makes the narrative there a little bit more cohesive and a little bit more expected maybe but we'll, we'll see on that we'll see how that hypothesis goes but yeah effectively we're thinking get that track record and give that little asterisk next to it where mm -hmm. it's like oh by the way we do cool young person things too <laughs> <laughs> Well, Noah and Noah, I had an awesome time talking to you guys. Hey, thanks a lot for coming on. I feel like I learned a lot. Hopefully the listener did as well. Um, I definitely didn't understand uh, a lot of things that you guys talked about today beforehand. Um, I didn't understand kind of how an AI fits into um, Ultima. I didn't understand what it's like raising a fund <laughs> when you're 21 years old and what it actually like you do to get there. Um, so thank you a lot for coming on. Hopefully I did a good job without my partner Rohan here helping me along. Um, but yeah, with that, uh, thank you guys for coming on and thanks everyone for listening. Um, if there's anything else you guys want to share before we, we head out, you feel free. But if not, um, we'll have all your information in the description if anyone wants to check cool. you out. And yeah, thank you guys for coming on. Thank That's you. That's the man. episode. Yeah. Thanks for having us. All right. See ya.